0: Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Hey guys, you made it to the first ever feature of Final Girl Friday. So I'm really excited for that. If you haven't heard me previously talk about it, this is basically going to be my episode dedicated to slasher movies, which I am a very big fan of. One, because slasher movies do not really scare me. Two, because a lot of them are pretty dang bad. The acting is bad, but the deaths are so funny. I might be a sick man, but I really enjoy watching the deaths in the slasher movies. Like the latest Halloween movie, Halloween Kills, overall, it's probably a dreadful movie, to be honest. It was pretty bad to my recollection, but the kills in that movie are the best out of any of the Halloween movies ever, and it's not close. And there's also a scene where it's like Michael Myers versus like, 50 people, and that is hilarious to watch because how do you lose that? Okay, maybe not 50, it's at least a 20 to 1 advantage. How do you lose a 20 to 1 advantage? That's just insane, man. Not just 20 to 1, they all have like guns and bats and stuff, and he's getting shot and beat and all that, and they still lose. They still lose that fight. That's hilarious. And if I were to go through all the Halloween movies, I'm telling you, some of them are so funny. They're not good, but they are very funny, which is a shame because the original one is so good and then they've made so many and they're all so bad. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them are so bad. Then you got the Friday the 13th franchise, which are pretty much all horrendous. What's funny is they have the reboot of Friday the 13th that came out in 2009 and people hated that. And I always assumed it's because the original was a classic. No. If you followed the Shrek is Cinema podcast, you would have heard me talk about the original Friday the 13th. I watched it because it was on TV and I said, oh, well, this is a classic. Surely it is. That's why they've made 20 movies with Jason Voorhees. And the crazy thing about the first Friday the 13th is that Jason is not in the movie. His mom is the killer. She doesn't wear a hockey mask. And really, you don't even see any of the deaths. Also, a character in that movie is totally taking a dump at one part and then just gets up off the toilet because they hear a noise. You do not see any wiping, and that has always bothered me because they, they're they on the toilet for a good five minutes or so, so it's not like they just sat down to pee, okay? They were on there for five minutes. This is an era that predates cell phones. They're at a summer camp, so there's no magazine or anything like that. There's nothing that they could be doing other than using the bathroom and they hear noise in the bathroom and they just pull their pants up and leave the stall. It is disgusting. It is disgusting, but it's also pretty dang funny. So yeah, I'm not here to talk about all of those movies. I'm not going to rant about those right now, though, by the end of the month, I will inevitably end up talking about most of these as this is the slasher episode, but I'm going to lead with slasher movies that I really like with this specifically slasher characters, aka final girls, that I really like. Before I get started with that, I just watched this trailer to a new Christmas movie called Violent Night with David Harbour. He's playing Santa Claus, and this is completely unrelated to Halloween, obviously, but it's a John Wick style Santa Claus movie, which in this case, I think somebody is like some kid is kidnapped by mercenaries and Santa is going to save the kid. And you just see Santa wrecking dudes in this trailer, just killing a bunch of people, which I can get behind that. That's fine. But the thing that takes me out of the movie already, and it takes me out of so many Christmas movies, is that the lead mercenary in the movie is saying, who's doing all this? And someone says it's Santa Claus. And he says, there's no such thing as Santa. And I just can't wrap my mind around that because Okay, yeah, there is no such thing as Santa. Sorry to any 5-year-olds who are listening to this podcast. He he doesn't exist. But if you were in a world where Santa Claus did exist, how in the world could you not believe in him? You know what I mean? Like gifts are under the tree every year, and you know, at this point, if you're living on your own, you're not living with your parents, you're still getting gifts under the tree. Who left them there? Was there a home invasion? Someone else left them there? At that point, it's got to be Santa Claus. If you are a parent and there's just gifts that appear under the tree every year, who do you think left him there? So that's why I never understand. And it takes me out of these movies where it's like, hey, I can get behind the guy in the in the sleigh with the flying reindeer and all that. I can get behind that. But I can't get behind. People don't believe in Santa Claus in a world where this guy exists because It's like Polar Express. It makes no sense. His parents don't believe in Santa. How do you not? Your kid's getting presents every year that you know neither of you bought. Where'd they come from? Yeah, I don't get that. It takes me completely out of the movie. I can't get behind anything in the movie. I can't get behind adults not believing in Santa in those movies. It's bonkers. I can understand the kids not believing in Santa because they say, surely... This man in red coat does not exist. Surely, it's our parents delivering these gifts, and this is all a farce. I can get behind that, but the parents? The adults? How do the adults not know? How could you not know? Anyway, aside from that, the movie actually looks pretty fun. It's kind of a funny concept, and so I'll probably check it out when it comes out. I think it hits theaters in December. Moving on from that. As it is Final Girl Friday, I believe I owe you guys an explanation as to what a Final Girl is. The Final Girl is a trope in horror films. It refers to the last girl or woman alive to confront the killer, ostensibly the one left to tell the story. And traditionally, this applies to slasher movies. So there have been plenty examples of Final Girls, and I don't want to talk about all the mainstream ones because... Just about everyone knows Laurie Strode from Halloween, one of the OG examples of the final girl, one of the very first. And not only was she one of the very first, there's also been a million movies that have spanned from her because she's in Halloween 1, she's in Halloween 2, she's in Halloween H20, she's in Halloween Resurrection, she's in Halloween 2018, she's in Halloween Kills, she's in Halloween Ends. At this point, they're just milking it with her character. I'm going to be completely honest. But part of it is that they made the first movie and it was really well liked. They made the second. It was not as well liked. And then they made the third, which was not a Michael Myers movie. It was called Halloween 3 Season of the Witch and people didn't like that. So then they went back to Michael Myers, but they did it without Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, and people didn't like that. They didn't like the movie after that. And so then they said, surely we must reboot and bring back Laurie Strode because that that was the problem. So then you have these movies, Laurie Strode again and Michael Myers, and they're just very bad. Halloween H20 and Halloween Resurrection are very, very bad movies. And then they rebooted again in 2018 because they said, hey, let's be real. The first movie was the only one that really counts. And that's what we're going to roll with. Now we're going to make sequels to the first movie. We're keeping Laurie Strode as a legacy character. It's basically a requel. It's a reboot slash sequel. It's meant to reboot the franchise while keeping some of the legacy characters like Laurie Strode. And you see a few other characters from the original movie. And that's what they did. And it was a good idea. It was a good enough reboot. And then the sequel to that kind of fell into the same trap that the original Halloween 2 did where it just wasn't very good. And I think it focused on some of the wrong things that made the previous one interesting. But I digress, because although those movies are a great example of the Final Girl trope, they are not the movie I plan to talk about today. Now before I get into the movie that I selected to talk about today, I just want to preface this saying that I had a lot in mind and I debated as to which movies I wanted to talk about for this particular segment throughout the month. And this was one that I wanted to do, and I kind of wanted it to be my featured one probably at the end of the month because it is one of my personal favorites. But I concluded that I would be better off leading with this one because I rewatched it most recently out of all the ones I had debated, and there are a few others I still want to watch and check off before I do the rest this month. So I figured that this was the most fresh in my mind and I would be able to offer the most thoughts on this for the first segment of Final Girl Friday. So I stuck with this one. With that being said, the final girl movie that I selected for today is Ready or Not, which released in 2019. It is directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette who, as a matter of fact, are the directors of the latest Scream movie, which I was a very big fan of, and I'll probably talk about more when the next one comes out. I believe it's next March. I may be wrong on that one, but I'm a big fan of their work thus far. So this movie, at the time it came out, was pretty under the radar. I remember seeing a couple ads for it, but I didn't really think much of it. All I knew is that there was a girl that gets married, and the family is trying to kill her, and I didn't really know much more than that. And to be fair, the ads did a pretty good job because that is more or less what the movie is about. But there really is a lot to love about this movie and that's why I chose this one to talk about and that's why I love it so much. So to paint the picture of this movie, it stars Samara Weaving who plays the character Grace who is marrying into this super rich family that she is really trying to gain the approval of because she gets the feeling right away that they do not like her. Now, Grace comes from not very much, is what it establishes. It never goes too deep into her past, but it makes it seem like she does not have a family of her own, and that's why it is so important that she gets the approval of his family. His family, you figure out in the opening scene of the movie, is kind of crazy, because the movie opens with two boys running through a house, and one brother is hiding his other brother, and then, out of nowhere, A guy runs in in a full wedding-style tuxedo, and he has an arrow in him, and he's begging the kid to help him. The kid has a look of panic on his face, but then calls out to his family, who rush in and take the groom as he screams and pleads for his life, and as his bride is in the background crying as they are doing so. And the movie immediately cuts to 30 years later, where we first meet Grace who is dressed in her full wedding attire and is reciting her vows more or less in the mirror because it is now her wedding day. And if you look outside the window, she's in this huge mansion and in the courtyard just outside are a bunch of people in wedding attire ready for the wedding ceremony to take place. Before the wedding, she has a smoke with her husband-to-be in which he gives her a chance to have an out. He says, hey, seriously, if you want out now, I'm giving you an out. This is your chance, which she kind of thinks is silly. And he says, no, I'm being serious. But she says, no, I'm all in. And from that point in the movie, we're off. They head downstairs, they get married, they're taking photos afterwards. And then she goes back to her room with her husband now. And just as they're starting to get friendly with each other, they're interrupted by the creepy aunt who informs them that they still have to come down to play games before midnight. Grace is a little confused at first and her husband explains, oh, this is just a family tradition. His family was built on this big gaming empire. So games are a very big part of their family traditions. And so she goes along with it and he just explains, hey, if it's go fish, we play go fish. If it's blackjack, we play blackjack. It's just whatever car you randomly draw is the game that we play. So they head downstairs, she draws a card, and the card that she draws is hide and seek. And the second she draws that card, everyone begins looking very uncomfortable in the room. No one will even look at her. And she's kind of laughing and she says, are we really going to play this? She's still in her wedding dress and they're all still dressed pretty nice from the wedding. So the idea of playing hide and seek is kind of funny. And the dad just says, well, that's the rules. So the dad then tells her that she's going to get her head start so that she can hide. And they're going to play this little hide and seek song on the record while she goes for the next minute to find a hiding place. And he just explains the rules are, hey, you hide and we just try and find you. And she says, how can I win? And he says, well, I suppose you could stay hidden till dawn. And they kind of both laugh about that. And the next 60 seconds cross cut between her finding a hiding place because it's just a silly little thing for her and their family grabbing all these medieval weapons because they are about to hunt her and kill her. Through a turn of events, and I'm not going to go into all the details about the movie, I'll just say she ends up watching as someone gets killed by accident. It's one of the maids that startles one of the family members, they were thinking it was her, and they kill them, and she sees it happen And her husband has found her first and helped her duck down and hide from the rest of his family right when this happens, basically. And once they're in the clear, the family leaves the room. They get the body out of there of the maid. The husband takes her into the secret corridor that they have in their house and explains to her, hey, look, so this is a family tradition. Basically, you got to go along with it in the family. You have to get married It has to be at the mansion and that night you have to draw a card and you have to play whatever game it is. And all the other games you would just play like normal games, but the particular game hide and seek, there's a set rule that you have to capture that person and sacrifice them. He then explains that there have been family members over the years that have tried to avoid this tradition. They've gotten married in other places and he said that they were dead by the next morning, every single one of them. So although he's not very close with his family, this was why he went along with the wedding at their house, and he figured that the hide-and-seek card couldn't possibly happen to his bride. Although it was a fear in the back of his mind, he just said, nobody ever draws the card. It had been 30 years since it was last drawn. But by happenstance, Grace drew the card, and we are thankful for that because uh, it made a great movie. Now, I'm not going to go any further into the plot. That is basically the setup. That's everything in the first 20 minutes, more or less. There's more to it, of course. But I'll let you guys watch that and enjoy it for yourselves. If you have not seen it, if you've already seen it, then you're probably due for a rewatch, and this is the time of year to do that. But let me talk about the things that I love about this movie. One, Samara Weaving. She is so great in this movie and honestly is just a very underrated actor. I remember when this movie came out, everyone that I told this movie about was saying, oh, that's the movie with Margot Robbie, right? Wrong. Although she looks a lot like Margot Robbie, Samara Weaving is much more than just being a Margot Robbie lookalike. Although I did also think she looked like that going into the movie. I didn't realize it was not Margot until I was in the theater and said, oh wait, that isn't Margot Robbie. She's not the worst person to be confused for, but at the same time, it's not ideal if you're trying to kick off your own independent career if people can't tell you apart from a bigger star in the industry. Anyway, this is the first movie I had seen Samara weaving in, and now I've seen her in a few other projects, one of which was The Babysitter. It was a 2017 movie directed by McG. It's kind of a horror comedy thriller movie. I don't know how quite to explain it. The movie is pretty off the rails. It's funny. It's also way, way over the top violent. And Samara Weaving is probably the best part of that movie. Robbie Amell is also really good in it, but I think Samara Weaving was my favorite character in that movie. But I didn't watch that until years later. Red or Not was my first exposure to her. And the cool thing is I talk about the final girl trope. And something that's very common in the final girl trope is that the final girl is usually just hysterical and panicked the whole movie and kind of gets lucky to survive. But most of the time is just tripping over her own feet and struggling to survive, and is just getting beat up the whole movie, and scratched, and is trying not to scream, trying not to cry. Grace is not that final girl. Grace is my favorite version of the final girl, and there's a few different versions of this, but there are movies that I might end up talking about, so I'm not going to go through all of those as examples, but it's the final girl that fights back. That's my favorite version which is kind of an interesting debate within the film community as far as nerds that actually care about this stuff. But there's an argument that most final girls survive due to being the killer's opposite and depriving them of their weapon. Whereas there's also the final boy that typically survives by becoming more like the killer. So essentially with the final boys, it becomes more of a dogfight between them and the killer, monster, whatever is hunting them. With the final girls, they tend to just survive, whether by outsmarting the killer or outmaneuvering him, but rarely ever do they defeat the killer by brute force or anything like that. It's very rare. But that's why I love this character, Grace, in Ready or Not. I don't want to spoil too much in the movie, but I will say the scene where her husband is explaining to her the rules of how in their family they hunt people and sacrifice them Every so many years, when someone draws that card, and she's the one that drew the card, at first she's emotional and a little bit hysterical, as anyone would be in that situation. But then he tells her, I'm going to help you. This is the way to go. Go down this hallway, take a left. And this is the way to go. Go down this hallway, take a left, and it'll take you out to the kitchen. And that's going to be your way out. But he does explain that the whole house is locked down, so he'll have to Override the security system and unlock the doors. And of course, it's a huge, huge property. So even after she gets out of the house, there's still a long way to go and a huge wall around the house that she'll have to get over or through or under somehow. But after this conversation with her husband, she walks away. And the score of this movie is done by Brian Tyler, who I'm a fan of. He's a very good composer. And the particular track that plays during this moment is titled Badass Bride. And it's my favorite track in the entire movie. And it's just this really epic sounding score that you would typically hear for like a superhero or something like that. And it plays as she's walking down this corridor and she's slowly ripping her dress off at the bottom right around where her shoes are. So she has more mobility. And this is like the first moment where she is kind of cranking it up a notch in intensity where she is no longer in panic mode. She is now transitioning into survival mode. She doesn't care about looking pretty anymore. She cares about surviving. And I think as the movie goes on, she progressively becomes more and more of not just a survivor, but a fighter. And that's why I love her character so much. And also, she's just a very charismatic actress. And even without knowing much about her, she's just a very likable, funny character. She has a bunch of iconic lines throughout the movie that I still think about from time to time because they're just so funny. And that's the other thing about this movie. As dark as the subject matter is and as violent as it is, It is a very funny movie. Now, it's mostly dark humor, but man, it had some of the best dark humor I've ever seen in a movie. I remember watching it in theaters and being surprised at how hard I laughed at it, and then I went to see it again, this time with my brother, and again, we both had a great time with it, and it's still a movie that both of us really love. Now, one of my favorite parts of this movie is that they could have easily made it where Grace is just hunted by the whole family throughout the movie. That she is just married into this crazy family, and it's just her surviving the night. And it's nothing more than that. But instead, they give us a couple pretty compelling characters, and that is the two brothers in this movie, one being her husband, and then her brother-in-law, Danny. Without going too deep into detail on the husband, I will just say he has an arc in the movie, and it's all about his relationship with his family. The brother Danny, on the other hand, is one of my favorite characters in all of slasher movies, if this were to count as a slasher, which I would argue that it would. Although there is no singular killer hunting down characters throughout the movie, there is plenty of carnage throughout the movie and someone being hunted, so therefore I am counting it as a slasher. And if Samara Weaving is a final girl, which she is, then this movie is a slasher. But Adam Brody's character is a really, really likable character, immediately you can tell that he is not all in with his family traditions. You can tell that he is carrying the weight of some of the things that he has seen and that he knows have been done within his family over the years. And because of that, he is not very proactive in trying to hunt Grace throughout the movie. He is very unhelpful to his family throughout the movie and becomes, as the movie goes on, very helpful to Grace. His character is great because you can tell he believes that he is beyond redemption because of being caught up in all of his family affairs, but that doesn't stop him from trying to do the right thing when the moment comes. And that's something I really appreciate, that Grace is not the only character in the movie. They could have easily made it. And this is a mistake that many slasher movies make, is if there's an ensemble of characters, they will just make it where there's one character and then a bunch of just two-dimensional characters and nobody really remembers those, unless the one character, of course, is just fantastic, and then they carry the whole movie. But that's something I really like about this one, is that there are more characters than just Grace. So because this is Final Girl Friday, I'll just wrap it up on the character Grace. I really like her because, one, she delivers some iconic lines, which is not always necessary for a Final Girl, but it definitely adds some points. Two, she does it all in a wedding dress, which is pretty dang impressive. Three, not only is she surviving throughout the movie, she is fighting, and I love that. Four, because the movie is well-scored, she has really good music to go along with her. That's one thing that people love about the Halloween movies is Michael Myers has this iconic theme. There's nothing as iconic as that theme necessarily in this, but I do believe that the score accompanies her character really well and makes her even more awesome than she already is. And the final thing, and this is something I talked about with the final girl versus final boy. So there's this controversial thing around the final girl trope that some people argue it really diminishes the final girl, that's not always a positive label on a character. And that's due to the fact that many final girls at the end of the movie are rescued by men, whether it's their boyfriends, husbands, male friends, police officers, ambulance whatever, usually they're bailed out at the end of the movie by men. They survive the whole time, and then there's a guy that comes in to bail them out. And there are people that believe that diminishes everything they did up to that point, that it became now a man is the hero of the movie when this girl just went through hell and back. I don't entirely agree with that conclusion, and I'll make my case why. I'll just say the entire point is that they survived. If a cop pulls up at the end and saves the character, It is because she survived all the way up to that point. She still did all of that. She doesn't have to kill the killer. She doesn't have to stoop to that level. Although I don't think there's anything wrong with killing killers personally. I think that's actually a pretty awesome thing. But it's not in most people's nature to do something like that, even when you're in survival mode. It's kind of the fight or flight thing. Some people are just not built to do that. And that's okay. And that's why I have no problem with, for example, at the end of 1978 Halloween directed by John Carpenter, Jamie Lee Curtis, who I was talking all about at the beginning of this episode, is somewhat bailed out because Dr. Loomis shows up and Dr. Loomis is packing heat and Dr. Loomis puts as many rounds in Michael Myers as he can and Michael Myers falls out the window and they assume that he's dead. And then, of course, he's gone at the end of the movie, so he's not really dead. But I don't think that there is anything wrong with that because the fact is, Jamie Lee Curtis's character still survived up until the point where help came because usually in slashers, they're essentially against an unstoppable force. It's very rare that they're just against some regular guy. Many times it's a supernatural force or it's a group of people or it's someone that just has access to way more weapons than they could ever have access to, in which case it's not a fair fight. So for them to survive in the first place is impressive. So I don't think anyone coming in to bail them out the end. I wouldn't care what the gender was of the cop that came in to save them. I guess usually it's a male that shows up at the end. But traditionally, especially in older slasher movies, most police officers were men. And even today, most police officers are still men. So if emergency services show up, chances are there's going to be a guy there. So that's why I don't have a huge problem with it personally. but. If I did, this would be the perfect movie for me. And again, without going too into detail, it's kind of a spoiler already that Grace is the final girl I'm discussing today because that implies that she survives to the end of the movie, but I don't think that will ruin the movie when you watch it because there's still stuff you don't know how it will play out. And if she'll be able to make it out completely unscathed or if there will be any lasting consequences, you don't know that. So you still would have to watch the movie to know that. I will just say, yes, she is a final girl. She makes it to the end of the movie. But the thing that I like is when emergency services show up, like any final girl, she's covered in blood, her clothes are ripped up, but she's not frantically crying or screaming for help. She's actually sitting, taking a puff of a cigarette because the job was finished. She did it. She survived. They're just showing up to the aftermath of what she just beat, which is funny because here she is, a beautiful girl, which is typically the case with most final girls. She's in a wedding dress, covered in blood, dresses ripped up, everything you would expect out of a final girl. But internally, she exemplifies everything of the final boy becoming more like the killer to survive and defeat the killer because this movie very much becomes a dogfight between Grace and the family. And that is something that I really love about it. So just a couple more things I want to say about it. I have already raved about Samara Weaving, but I'm going to rave about one more thing. And that is the fact that she is one of the best screamers in all of cinema. I know that sounds weird, kind of kinky. Get your mind out of the gutter though. I'm referring to her actual genuine primal scream that she gives in the third act of this movie. It was crazy. It's bone chilling. It is one of the best screams I've ever heard. Like that right there, that is acting. And when you watch this movie or when you rewatch this movie, you will know the part I'm talking about. It's impressive. And you will not be thinking, wow, Caleb, what a weirdo. Why are you paying attention to how women scream? No, 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 no. Trust me, you'll know when you get there. You'll know that I'm right. And the very last thing about the movie is that it outros on a cover of an Elvis Presley song, which let me be clear, I'm not the biggest fan of Elvis. There are things that I would say about him that would get me censored on this particular platform. So I'm not going to say those things about him, but I'll just put it plainly. I'm not a fan. However, he does have a few decent songs, even if I'm not a huge fan of his style or if I felt that his style was stolen from other artists of his era, or if he stole his music from other artists. The point is that he had a song called Love Me Tender. And this movie outros to a cover of Love Me Tender by Stereo Jane. And it just totally rocks. It fits the movie perfectly. There's so many horror movies, by the way, that when they cut to credits, sometimes it's like they're trying to be funny with the song they cut the credits to crawl, for example, is one of those. I maybe shouldn't say that because I might even talk about Crawl later this month. But Crawl does cut to a very silly song and it's funny, but at the same time, it gives you total whiplash from whatever just happened. And Smile does the same thing. And again, it's funny, but it gives you whiplash. This movie though, I feel it's well-earned because there are a few good jokes in the last few minutes, a few iconic lines of hers. And you see her lighting up her cigarette and taking a puff of it as this song fades into the scene and the movie fades out and it's pretty awesome. So yeah, that's ready or not. I feel like I have spoiled a bit of the movie, but that is kind of a given seeing as I already described the character as a final girl when I introduced her. So I apologize for that, but it is still absolutely worth a watch and I think you'll have a great time with the movie. There's still plenty of moments that I think will shock you in the movie and there are a few good turns for different characters in the movie that I think you'll be able to appreciate. So that's all I got for this one. Whenever you guys listen to this, I hope you have a good weekend or day, whatever you're up to right now. And I will be back with you guys on Monday. We'll talk later.